We look to you. We look to you. And we look to you because we want to hear from you. And we don't only want to hear, but we want to be doers of your word. We cannot do this in our own strength. And so God, our Father, help us. We trust that you hear us and we trust that you are willing to bring about your will in our lives. And so give us hearts that are open and focused to hear you and to respond to what you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, last week, um, if you guys remember, um, we looked at an epic story from the life of the church. Um, it was how, you know, you remember, it was how an angel from God helped the apostles who were the leaders of the church, how the angel helped um, them escape from jail and how, also how through a random suggestion um, from one of the religious leaders, they escaped death as well. We also saw how they went back after being released, they went back to doing the very thing that got them thrown in jail in the first place. And that was telling everyone about Jesus and communicating the gospel. And so from last week, we were made aware of threats to the mission of the church. And the threat came from the religious authorities. But even with these threats, even with this opposition, we were reminded of how God is unstoppable, which makes his mission unstoppable as well. And so this week is no different. There are still threats um to the church but this time the threats are not coming from the outside but they're coming from within the church um and it's a threat to the unity of the church to the unity of the church um give me a sec there you go um look at verse one again look at verse one it says now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, stop right there. So far, if you've noticed, in Acts, members of the church have been called believers. Here, uh, members of the church are called disciples. And so before we move on from here, I think it'll be good for us to understand what this whole title meant for them and what it means for us. The word disciple comes from a Greek word meaning um, a learner or student or someone who is apprenticed to a teacher to learn from them. Put simply, a disciple is a learner and discipleship is learnership. And so to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow Jesus, um, to learn from him. Um, I really like how pastor and author John Mark Kuma describes a disciple in his new book. He says a disciple 
um, is this, to be one of Jesus' disciples is to apprentice under Jesus. Put simply, is to organize your life around three basic goals. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he would do if he were you. And so, what does this all mean for you? If you're a member of King's Cross Church, if you're a member of any other local church, you're first and foremost a disciple of Jesus. Your primary commitment is not to our awesome church, I know our church is awesome, or one of our community groups, but your commitment is primary and primarily to Jesus. You're first and you are first and foremost a disciple of Jesus. Um, if you see yourself as a disciple of Jesus, your goal in life is to model all of your life after Jesus. That is to allow his life to be lived through your life. Back to the story. As the church continued to add more and more disciples to its growing membership, certain challenges naturally developed. Um, and the latest challenge had to do with threats to unity. Look at verse 1 again. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, before we fully um, understand what exactly is going on here, we have to define a word or two. And I'm sure you know what word we're talking about. They are Hellenists and Hebrews. And so who were the Hellenists and who were the Hebrews? Well, they were both ethnic Jews, but they both spoke different languages. The Hellenists were Jews that spoke Greek. They lived in Greco-Roman regions and so what they did was they adopted Greek lifestyles including the language. And the Hebrews on the other hand were Jews that were fluent in Hebrew. They were like legit Jews, okay? The purest of the pure. Um, they took pride in their Jewish identity and maintained a Jewish lifestyle. And so if you were observing this church community from a distance, everything looked great. Um, they may have had their linguistic differences, but they were a diverse community firmly united around the ideology of following Jesus. But although things looked picture perfect from the outside, things weren't so great within the church. The Hellenists were unhappy. Why? Because they felt overlooked they noticed that their widows were being discriminated against when it came to the daily distribution of essentials. Now, let me just give you a brief history. In those days, the church took on the responsibility of supporting widows um, who were without relatives um, to support them and so how the church supported them was kind of like a food bank a daily food bank um, throughout the day they would distribute food clothing and money to any widow who had need and as the distribution was made 
the Hebrew widows received better care than Greek-speaking widows, the Hellenists. And it seems that those in charge of the delivery gave Hebrew women the first pick um, and may have even separated requests into two categories, locals and immigrants. And so the problem is that one group was privileged while another felt slighted and marginalized. The BT Anyobuilue, who, uh, who is a pastor um, on the East Coast, says this. It seemed that cultural or ethnic prejudice was threatening the unity of the church and the physical well-being of some members. Cultural and ethnic prejudice and other um, are rampant. Um, in our society but we must not forget this we must never forget this we must never forget that these issues are closer to home that than we realize discrimination prejudice favoritism have always been a threat to the unity of the church it was a problem then and it's still a problem now. These issues still exist in the world we live in. And as a church, we're not immune to these threats. We can be sure that we will face it too. Um, we can be sure that our pursuit of the unity of all races and cultures in Christ will be threatened indeed. And so we need to be ready. We need to be prepared with solutions on how to deal um, with the threats um, that, are, that come against our unity as a church. Thankfully, we're not left to figure it out by ourselves. This story from Acts helps us know how to respond to the threats um, to the unity in our church. And so how did the early church handle this issue? What can we learn from um, their response to help us avoid it and deal with it ourselves? First, we must prioritize scripture and prayer. We must prioritize scripture and prayer. Look at verse 2, 3 and 4 with me. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should um, give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. When the issue of prejudice was brought to the attention of the twelve that's another name for the apostles the key leaders of the church uh, they could have ignored it and viewed the complaint as oversensitivity but they didn't instead they viewed it as a significant issue and made it their priority to come up with a solution the first thing we notice um, from what we just read is 
that they prioritized God's word and prayer. In essence, the apostles proposed that it was not a good idea for them to abandon their responsibilities for preaching the word of God to help with the care of the poor. In other words, the primary task of the church and the leaders of the church was the preaching of the word of God and prayer. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to us because ever since the church began, and we've been in Acts for um, what three, four, five months now, ever since the church was birthed, they've been devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. And as a church family on mission with Jesus in San Diego, we want to continue to do the same. We will aim to be devoted to God through scripture and prayer. Why? Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 1 John 5.15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 2 Chronicles 7.14, which is one of my favorite verses on prayer, says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. One last one. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 4.1, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We could go on and on. There are many Bible passages um, which inspire us um, to prioritize scripture and prayer. Um, pastor and author Jeff Robinson says, A steady diet of Christ-centered Scripture-saturated, expositional preaching is exactly what sinners need to become more and more like Jesus. I love this next part. It may not look like much, but it's everything. Did you just hear that? Just a steady diet. Steady diet. It may not feel like much. It may not look like much to, um, um, to commit. Um, to studying God's word on a regular basis, to commit to um, expressing our desires before God in prayer. It might not look like much, but it's everything. And, you know, listening to Randy's story, it was so encouraging um, for me to hear how he has been impacted by the simplicity of how we do church. Um, and that is to open scripture 
um, and to seek to understand what God is saying. Um, you know, it, it, it's simple, but I think um, we get restless because we don't see immediate results and we want to see change. Um, but change will come. Change is happening. We have to have faith um, that God is using his word in our lives. What about you? Is hearing from God through scripture and speaking to him in prayer a regular rhythm in your life? In this season of self-quarantine, um, how has it been for you? Have you prioritised prayer? Have you made an effort to seek God through his word and prayer? Or have the things of God become so familiar to you, they no longer excite you? Do you value your relationship with God? Have the sacred practices of scripture and prayer declined in value to you? I love what J.C. Ryle says. He was a bishop um, here in England, in Liverpool. He says, the same fire which melts the wax hardens the clay. The same sun which makes the living tree grow dries up the dead tree and prepares it for burning. Nothing so hardens the heart of man as a barren familiarity with sacred things. Wow. If you're like me, there's a constant ache deep in your heart for more to know God more to order your life around the life of his son so that you may become like his son and to do that um, we've just got to commit to spending quality time with him with God in his word and in prayer um, I love what John Mark Comer says he says um, we get out what we put in. This isn't some legalistic guilt trip. This is an invitation to the life we actually ache for. And so God is inviting us. He's inviting us. He's made himself available. He's inviting us to know and experience him in a powerful way but you get what you put in and you're not going to experience the fullness of what God has for you um, if you're not committed to prayer and the reading, regular reading of his word. May you be devoted to prayer and the word. Let's move on. Question. Let's move on. Let's start with a question. As you read verses 3, 4, and 5, um, it, it was interesting. Personally, um, as I was reading it, I expected the disciples, the apostles, um, to begin by calling out those responsible um, for the injustice. And then I was expecting that they would focus on the solution um, for the problem of discrimination, which they do in verse 3, but 
for them to emphasize the priority of preaching and prayer as part of the solution to the issue of cultural and ethnic prejudice wasn't really what I was expecting. And I'm sure you felt the same way. I'm sure you were thinking, I mean, if this was the first time you was reading this and you um, read about a problem in the church um, and uh, you also read about how the leadership was notified of the problem, I'm sure um, you was expecting them to provide practical ways. And they did. But it's interesting that they placed an emphasis um, on the priority of preaching and prayer. Initially, um, this doesn't really make sense. But a closer look reveals that it does make sense for God's word and prayer to be a vital part of the solution. Why? Because what will help us avoid prejudice, um, what will help us overcome um, the many threats to the unity of the church is not just good ideas or well thought out plans or strategies, but what will help us fight favoritism and threats to the unity of the church is an intimate relationship with God through his word and prayer. A relationship with God um, in relationship, sorry, a relationship with the God of the universe is what we need because it's the God of the universe who declares all humans equal because all humans have been made in his image. And so for the apostles, the ministry that made sure every widow was treated equally was important to them, but it wasn't supposed to be um, their priority. It wasn't supposed to be their primary focus. And this wasn't because of a superior attitude they had that made them think they were above such work. No, it wasn't something they didn't want to do because of pride but it was something they couldn't be involved in because they needed to focus on preaching and prayer. They were limited. As the church grew, okay, their time was limited and they needed to focus on exactly what they were called to do. Um, and even as we look at this, it, um, you know, we'll, we'll see this later, but it, it, as they focused on preaching and teaching, um, it allowed God to raise up new leaders in the church. Incredible. Um, they needed to remain faithful to their calling to prioritize preaching and prayer. Why? Why did they do this? So that God's word and prayer may remain sensual in the local church. And so why this emphasis? Why was there a need for God's word and prayer to remain central in the church? Again, it was because they were convinced that a steady diet of Christ-centered, scripture-saturated preaching and prayer was what was needed, not just for the overall health of the church, but in this situation for unity in the church. Racism, classism, and discrimination 
can only be rooted out of our hearts with the help of the gospel. Without God at the centre of our church, we will be powerless against the constant waves of threats um, that will threaten the unity of our church. But a steady diet of Christ-centred, scripture-saturated preaching and prayer is exactly what we need to show the world that people who cannot live in unity outside of Christ can be united inside of Christ. The gospel is the power of God that brings about salvation and the gospel is the power of God that brings about unity. Um, Tim Keller, I have to quote Tim Keller here. He says, when you become a Christian, you are not primarily from Ohio or Germany or Asia. You are not primarily Anglo, African-American, Asian or Hispanic. You are not primarily white collar or blue collar. You are a citizen of God's nation. OK, um, we are citizens of God's nation. Um, and I love this. I've got other quotes where he goes on to say this doesn't diminish um, the differences or who we are. It doesn't do that because um, in Revelation, it talks about when um, we are all in heaven and we're in eternity. There will be people from all backgrounds, all nation, all different tongues praising the Lord. And so it might not be um, kind of our identity primarily might not be where we're from or what ethnicity we are. But that doesn't mean it's all diminished. No, it's not. We can still embrace who we are and at the same time be united um, around Jesus Christ and for his mission. The gospel is therefore the only hope for humanity, for salvation and for unity. And this and many other reasons are why we aim for scripture and prayer to be the center piece of everything we do as a church. Whether we meet on Sundays or in our community groups on weekdays, you'll find us reading and studying scripture and then praying prayers that are rooted in God's word, King's Cross Church. May we be a church family that is all about hearing from God in his word and speaking to him in prayer. Amen. Next, um, let's look at how the church valued spiritual maturity. Look at verse three again. Look at verse three again. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom, we'll, whom we will appoint to this duty. And now um, read verse 5, jump over to verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole, con uh, the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to hear about Stephen next week. But then, and they also chose Philip. Prochorus, that's an awesome name, Prochorus, that sounds like he should be a musician, <laughs> and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antius, and 
did you notice something um, um, in the list? Did you notice the kind of leaders the apostles instructed the church to recruit? Notice that it wasn't um, the first seven men who volunteered or men who were highly skilled or talented or had extraordinary abilities or had impressive resumes. No, the apostles instructed the church to recruit godly men, men of character, men who were of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And so what does that tell us? It tells us that there was an emphasis on character. They were more concerned about who these men were over and above what they could do. These men needed to excel not only in natural abilities, but most importantly, they needed to possess spiritual maturity. We need men and women to be able to have the necessary gifts to lead. Well, we absolutely do. But more important to us is who they are. And so as our church grows and we seek to appoint and install new leaders, know this, that we will look to God in his word and prayer for guidance. And as we do, he will continually remind us to value spiritual maturity over natural abilities. Um, the BT, our Bulwe, has provided us with some questions he's a pastor on the east coast i quoted him earlier um and he's just yeah provided some awesome questions for churches to consider when looking for leadership um and here are some of the questions he says ask is the person a servant do they um, do they see service as a necessary part of following christ are they happy to accept menial tasks, duties that lack glamour, or do they want applause and recognition and attention for their ministries? Are the virtues of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control evident in the way they serve and their conduct? Do they stir strife or settle it? When addressing problems, are they slow to speak, quick to listen and close to anger? Do they consider the ideas of others or are they committed to their own thoughts more than others? As I read this list, I was incredibly thankful um, to realize that, man, like um, the leadership God has provided for our church and um, the, the many people that serve our church possess a lot of these qualities. Um, I was just thinking of how um, when we had to move back to the UK, how God has in his sovereignty just raised up leaders um, in our church. Um, and these leaders are incredibly talented. But what stood out for me most um, is that of their spiritual maturity. Um, and I've spent time with them. We've got some incredible leaders. I meet with um, our ministry team leaders um, every other week. And we're studying a book together. And the more I hear them and the more I spend time with them, the more I see that, man, these 
guys and girls are awesome they are spiritual mature in so many ways and listen we're not looking for perfect people okay uh, because a person a perfect person doesn't exist outside of jesus christ we know that but we're looking for leaders who are pursuing jesus um, who are spiritually mature that's going to be our focus as we look at leaders now before we move on um, just a quick note to say that although the word deacon is not used here um, to describe the seven men that were chosen to serve the church many scholars agreed that this decision in Acts 6 1 to 7 laid the foundation for the office of deacons in the church and so the topic of deacons is a very interesting one um, but we don't have time to discuss it now it's something we'll discuss in the future um, but for now uh, let's continue with our story to see what happens next and so um, after a, a, a focus on word and prayer after appointing um, these men um, to serve the church and oversee the ministry um, that um, you know the ministry of serving to people what happened next verse 7 and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples um, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests um, became obedient to the faith um just listen to that um it says and the word of god continued to increase and as the word of continued to increase many more disciples were added to the church and i love what it says about how even priests became obedient to the faith men of authority men in high places um, heard the gospel and surrendered their entire life to Jesus Christ and why is that it was because it was um, the church remained faithful to God's mission the church remained faithful to making disciples and how they were doing that um, was prioritizing um, their relationship with God through God's word and prayer and that was what um, was the solution for the problems they had. Um, and that was the solution for how to um, pick leaders that could serve in these roles. And so it, it, it sounds simple, but it's incredibly hard to do. But know that as a church, we will strive um, to do all we can um, to keep God's word. Um, and prayer as a focal point of what we do what? let's pray what? my son just walked in perfect god thank you so much um for your word your word provides us with everything we need um, for life and godliness your word provides us as a church with everything we need to be a church that is healthy um, we're not trying to become um, the 
biggest church. We're not trying to become the most innovative church. Um, we're not trying to become the most hip church or, um, or we're just not God. We want to be a church that is healthy. Um, and so God, for us to be healthy, for us to be a church that pursues unity, um, um, a church that takes sin like the sin of partiality and favoritism and um, all of those sins seriously. We need to be a church that is um, rooted and grounded in your word, um, a church that is continuing to pursue you um, and live for you. Um, it's simple, but God, it's effective. And I'm thankful that I've had a front row seat to seeing how you've been faithful to bless our church, to multiply our church, to um, make more disciples in our church through the simplicity of gathering around your word um, and praying. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.